Thank you for joining the Element Church Podcast, where we exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope this message inspires and strengthens your faith. Well, good morning. Okay, good. That was a test, and most of you have passed. Uh, which is great because I actually need some crowd interaction just for this very beginning. I'm not going to ask a ton of you guys today, but I do need to know, and you can just yell it out if you think you have an answer you might not know, so you don't have to. But does anyone know what animal rests or sleeps the most? Does anyone know? Sloth is number two with 20 hours a day sleeping. What else? No, panda's not on the list. Koala is number one. I don't know who yelled it, but great job. They sleep 22 hours a day. There's another one that was completely, I had no idea that this was true. Supposedly it is. Uh, Pythons actually sleep around 18 hours a day, which is actually really helpful for me. It makes me fear snakes a little less knowing they're so lazy. Like half the time, they're just not even going to be awake, so I don't have to worry about them attacking me. Uh, Believe it or not, and I'm sure most new parents will not, supposedly infants sleep 16 hours a day, but nobody told my children that when they were babies. Uh, But they're like number eight on the top 10, you know, animals or species or I don't know how you categorize it. Uh, Giraffes are actually not on this list. They're on the list of animals that sleep the least, but giraffes sleep standing up. And what they do is they lock their knees and then they take literal one minute power naps all throughout the day. Like you have no idea if a giraffe is awake or asleep because like for one minute they're asleep and then they just wake back up and continue. So they sleep about four hours a day, which is insane to me that that's what they do. I need to learn how to do that actually. Um, And before I tell you what all this fun animal facts has to do with today's sermon, I do want to introduce myself to you guys. My name is Brendan Anderson. I'm the student ministries pastor here at the church. I'm so excited that I get to bring the sermon to you guys today. And regardless of the animal or its habits, every single one of them has to rest at some point. They all need rest. And today we're starting a brand new sermon series called Why Sabbath? Escaping the Routine. And we're going to talk about how important finding and putting this practice of rest is into our lives. I personally struggle a lot with finding rest. I'm like a go, go, go kind of person. I don't know if you can tell that just by the way I communicate or move around. Um, But what I've found is that even though I'm constantly going, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm actually getting anywhere. Does anyone else feel like that kind of works for them. So this sermon has actually been really convicting for me as I've been researching and writing it, studying this art of rest. Another reason we're going to be talking about this is because in two weeks on April 3rd, we're going to have a Sabbath Sunday. And on that Sunday, there will be no church services here at Element. As a church, we are going to practice what it means to put Sabbath into our lives. But maybe you're here today and you don't even know how to practice Sabbath. You might have no idea what you're actually supposed to do or why it is important. Well, you came on the perfect Sunday because our big question is going to be on the screens and it's this, how do we practice Sabbath? How do we practice Sabbath? The main scriptures are going to be Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 through 3, Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 through 11, 
in Matthew 12, verses 1 through 12. Before we get started, I do want to say, if you're here today and you don't believe in God, you've actually come on the perfect Sunday. Not only will we here at Element love you regardless of what you believe, even if you never believe what we believe here as a church, we are going to love and honor you. And I'm so happy that you are here with us. But I believe, whether you are a believer or not, that Sabbath is a gift given to you, even if you never believe in God. And practicing it will do nothing but be beneficial to your life. Now, I know we're covering a lot of scripture today. I know typically this is not my favorite way to preach. I would rather have like a specific passage that we're gonna walk through and discover together and we get to draw conclusions from it. But the weird thing about Sabbath is there was never any really clear expectations or rules set forth in scripture for it. There are some, don't get me wrong, and we're going to obviously, we have a bunch of scripture going to read. There are some, and we're going to read about it. But when I was doing research for this sermon, what I discovered was that a lot of practices of the Sabbath have just been handed down generation after generation after generation by the Jewish people. So there are practices and blessings and songs and specific food that we don't actually read about in scripture, but was a normal part of their Sabbath. Before we jump into any of this though, I do need to give some context because context determines meaning. And we actually need context, not just for the scripture that we're gonna be reading, but we need context for Sabbath. Like what is Sabbath? If we don't know what it is, then how are we going to put it into practice? So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter two. If you forgot your Bible, as always, every scripture we read today, it's gonna be up on the screens for you guys to follow along with. But if you're here today, and you don't own a Bible, please don't leave without one. We would love to give you a Bible. Stop by the next or the guest services desk out in the lobby. Just ask them for a Bible. They'll give you one absolutely free. You can take it home. You can put it somewhere, forget about it, find it three months later, be really excited. All of those things can happen just by asking for a Bible. So Genesis chapter two, starting in verse one, says this. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. So this right here, this is the very first Sabbath. God's Sabbath after the creation of everything in the universe. The Hebrew word for Sabbath literally means to rest. And that's what God did. He rested on the seventh day. What I find super interesting is he didn't just rest, he actually blessed the day and he declared it holy, which is a huge deal because nothing apart from God is holy. And yet here in this passage, we see that God declares this day, this day of rest, holy. And that's a huge deal. Yet for the vast majority of us, we don't actually participate in it. We don't celebrate the day the way we probably should. The vast majority, and I actually find myself included in this, typically don't even think about the Sabbath. It's another part of why I felt compelled to write this sermon. It's been just as convicting for me as I hope it'll be for others. And we haven't even started talking about what our actual big question is. So remember, big question is not what is Sabbath? I just needed to give a little bit of context so we know what we're talking about. But really, it's going to be, how do we practice it? And number one is this, regularly. We're going to practice Sabbath regularly. 
Starting in verse eight, Exodus 20 says this, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. All right. Out of everything we talk about today, I honestly believe that this right here, practicing Sabbath regularly may be the most difficult one to actually put into practice in your lives. We live in a world that is constantly going. It is never stopping. The majority of stores are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Convenience is prioritized in just about every aspect of our lives. I mean, I get updates on my phone 24 seven, middle of the night, and it is buzzing, trying to tell me about something that I should care about. And I don't even necessarily care about all these updates, but I keep forgetting to put the do not allow when it says, do you want this to send you notifications? Do you want this? And I just click through them so fast that nonstop, we are told all the time that we are not accomplishing enough. We are not getting enough done. We have tasks that are overdue. We have lists that we made and we know that we probably should accomplish, but it's a lot of hard work. So we're kind of just pushing it off till next week as well. Nonstop, we are told that things need to get done. So to say that we need to regularly practice Sabbath well, it's a lot easier said than done, right? Now, I didn't give context for that passage that we just read in Exodus, and I know what you're thinking already. How are we going to understand the meaning if we have no context? That's the whole point of it. And I know you're right, exactly. We're gonna get there. You see, when you read a passage of scripture, it is very easy to make assumptions about it when you do not have the surrounding scripture. Exodus, the book that we're reading right now, is in the Old Testament. It's actually the second book in the Old Testament. It's part of a larger section of books called the Torah. And the Torah just means the law. So for the Israelite people, the first five books in the Old Testament, that's the Torah. Exodus is actually followed by the book of Leviticus, which is filled with even more rules and regulations and things that the Israelites had to follow. And it's in Leviticus that we find a couple more passages surrounding Sabbath, Leviticus 23.3 will be on the screens. It says you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of complete rest, an official day for holy assembly. It is the Lord's Sabbath day and it must be observed wherever you live. Leviticus 26.2, a couple chapters later says, you must keep my Sabbath days of rest and show reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. This is the Lord talking in that verse. And Leviticus is filled with all sorts of weird rules and regulations that the Israelites had to follow that we don't necessarily follow today. Things like don't wear clothing made of a blend of material. So this polycotton blend t-shirt that I'm wearing, it would be considered sinful to the ancient Israelite civilization. Don't trim your beard, which I did yesterday. So that would be another strike for me. They'd be hauling me off to be stoned later in front of the whole community. Make sure you don't have tattoos, which I am also failing at. So basically I would not survive in ancient Israel if I was there today. And so when you look at all this inside of context, it can be very easy to lump Sabbath in with all these other laws that we don't have to follow today. The ones that I just mentioned, the ones that would get me killed in ancient Israel, um, those ones actually had to do with ceremonial and civil laws. 
We don't have to follow those today because of the fulfillment that Jesus was in the New Testament. So maybe Sabbath is just another thing that we don't have to practice. But remember, our main verse is in Exodus and its surrounding context is actually the Ten Commandments. Keeping the Sabbath is number four to be exact. And we keep those laws, right? Like those aren't ones that like fade away. We make sure we follow the 10 commandments, no other gods before the one true God. Don't make idols for yourself. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't murder, don't steal, keep the Sabbath day holy. And that's the one commandment out of all of them that we don't actually see as sinful when we break it. Yet it's inside the 10 commandments that God gave his people. I mean, these are the commandments written on the tablets that Moses brought down from the mountain after God had given it to them. These are the tablets that were placed inside the Ark of the Covenant, which literally held the presence of God. So these commandments literally sat next to God's presence for the Israelites. Like these were things that we should not be breaking. But maybe you're like me and you grew up with all the other commandments but you never really heard about keeping the Sabbath as being like an important one. You know, it was, never it was never a regular part of my life, not in the same way that like don't steal was, you know, I grew up hearing that or honor your mother and father, don't murder somebody. Like these were ones that I knew I shouldn't be doing. But when we make Sabbath a regular part of our lives, not only are we holding true to the 10 commandments that God has given us to make our lives better, but I promise you our day is blessed, set apart as holy, and it is better. Pastor Derry next week is actually going to be talking about some of the benefits of Sabbath, like the practical, tangible benefits of having a day of rest in our lives. But none of it works if we don't make it a regular part of our week. You have six days for ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to God. And I wanna be careful because I know some people don't work regular jobs. You don't have a set schedule. You can't just say, okay, every fill in the blank day of the week, Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, whatever, is going to be my Sabbath day. And so I wanted to encourage us and read Romans 14, five. This is in the New Testament now, again, talking about the Sabbath. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. So it does not have to be Sunday. It doesn't have to be Saturday. The ancient Jewish culture, they would practice Friday evening through Saturday evening, sundown to sundown. That would be their Sabbath. But in order to practice the Sabbath, I'm telling you, it doesn't have to be a regular day each week. It just needs to be a regular part of your week. We have to make it a regular part of our lives. Moving on to our main scripture in Matthew. This is the gospel of Matthew. We're gonna be reading in chapter 12, starting in verse one, says this, about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? 
I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple, but you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices for the son of man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. Then Jesus went over to their synagogue where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes, so he could, they could bring charges against him. And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. How do we practice Sabbath regularly? And number two is this, not rigorously. Not rigorously. Now, this one may be the most important point, And I know, I know it's kind of cheating to use a negative as a main point, but hear me out. All right, as I was reading through this passage, how Jesus practiced the Sabbath, what stood out to me was it was very different than how the Pharisees saw practicing the Sabbath. And the word that popped into my head was rigorous. I don't know if you've had this like experience before where you have a word pop up, but you're not like real positive what that word means. You're fairly certain, but you can't define it. So you're like, gosh, I should probably look it up before I'm foolish on Sunday. Uh, That's what happened. So I looked up rigorous and this is what I got. Extremely thorough, exhaustive or accurate, adhering strictly or inflexibly to a belief, opinion, or way of doing something. And just so you guys know, that's exactly what I thought rigorous meant. So I was like, I was on par, I was ready to go. That's exactly what I was thinking. And what I'm telling you today is that the way we practice Sabbath is not like that. When we look at scripture, that wasn't the way Jesus practiced Sabbath either. We read in Exodus that when God gave the commandment, gave the 10 commandment of Sabbath, the big thing of it was no work was supposed to be done. Okay, no one in the entire family, not the animals, not the foreigner, nobody was supposed to do work. And apart from that, there wasn't a lot of other regulations that were given. So the Israelite people just kind of had to figure out on their way what it looked like to keep the Sabbath holy. For the Pharisees, which were the religious leaders of Jesus's time, they were very strict about the way they adhered to scripture. So for them, any kind of work of any kind was considered sinful. Breaking off heads of grain to eat food or even performing a miracle was against the law if it was done on the Sabbath. There's actually other places in the gospel that talk about this interaction between Jesus and the man with the deformed hand. And they actually condemned the man for being at the temple on the Sabbath, saying, if you wanted to be healed, you had six other days of the week to come and do it. Why are you showing up on the Sabbath when you know it is against the law for a miracle? Like that is how crazy they held to this idea that you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. But Jesus here presents a new way to practice the Sabbath. He reminds the Pharisees that were so focused on how they practiced it that they forgot the purpose behind it, which was to rest. Could the disciples rest with empty stomachs as they continued on their walk with Jesus down the road? Probably not. And if you have ever been around somebody who's hangry, you've probably been given no rest as well and hearing about how hungry they are, or you've experienced the wrath because of their, their mood that is being affected by that hunger. Could the man with the deformed hand find rest in his affliction? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what kind of 
affliction he had, what deformity or pain could have been causing him. But I do know that Jesus's miracle made his life so much better because of it. The Pharisees couldn't see goodness in this. They were so used to the rigorous practice of the Sabbath that they couldn't see the love and the care that God had put behind it. Jesus actually says it better than I ever could in Mark chapter two, verses 27 and 28 says that the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Matthew Henry, who's a theologian, he uh, wrote a commentary specifically about these verses that I love. It's going to be on the screens for you guys. It says this, that the Sabbath is a sacred and divine institution, a privilege and benefit, not a task and drudgery. God never designed it to be a burden to us. Therefore, we must not make it so to ourselves. The Sabbath was instituted for the good of mankind as living in society, having many wants and troubles, preparing for a state of happiness or misery. Man was not made for the Sabbath as if his keeping it could be of service to God, nor was he commanded to keep its outward observances to his real hurt. Every observance respecting it is to be interpreted by the rule of mercy. So what are they saying in this? Like, what is Jesus trying to tell us? That having a Sabbath shouldn't be something that stresses you out. Practicing the Sabbath shouldn't worry you or make you feel like it's more work or something that you need to check off in order to be a better Christian. It's not saying that you can't do anything on that specific day or inside of that specific 24-hour period. No, what Jesus is saying is the Sabbath is a gift to us, not a job for us. We get to enjoy it even if it doesn't look perfect or work out exactly how you planned it. Like I said, this sermon was really convicting to me. I have never been really intentional about taking a Sabbath. Like I rest on days that I'm off, but that doesn't really count. That's like saying I forgot to eat because I was doing something, but I call it fasting. Like it doesn't work like that. <laughs> There's like some intention behind what that practice is. So I wanted to be more intentional about this practice. So that's what I did this week. Friday night into Saturday morning, I tried practicing the Sabbath. Friday, I had some friends over for dinner that I had prepared everything for. And then Saturday morning, I slept in. I didn't worry about cooking something extravagant for breakfast or going crazy cleaning my house, which I have a habit of doing on Saturday mornings. Instead, I just wanted to relax. I was going to read. I was going to enjoy a morning with my children, knowing that, like very intentional, this is my Sabbath. So after getting my children squared away with breakfast, I snagged my Bible. I was going to go downstairs and read. And I stepped off the bottom step of my staircase directly into a puddle of liquid. And my immediate reaction was that like one of my dogs had an accident in the middle of the night. Like it's fine. I'll take care of it. I flick on a light and there's like a lot more liquid than I was expecting. It's water, by the way. None of you have to worry. This is not like a, a bad liquid. Um, but I, I turn the corner of my downstairs and look into my laundry room to see that it has flooded. Now, is this the devil trying to keep me from practicing my Sabbath? No, probably not. Even if it feels like it at the time, and it did a little bit, but like, of course my basement floods on the day that I'm trying to be really intentional about taking the Sabbath. Of course it does. And I laugh because here is my second point, not rigorous. And so I actually rewrote my sermon yesterday just to add in this point of it's okay 
if you need to do something on these days. Like, yes, the point is to rest and relax and not work. But also, if your sheep falls into a well, of course you're going to work to get it out. If your basement floods, of course you're going to work to take care of it. And so it's okay to take care of any flooding that happens in your life on the Sabbath, metaphorical or literal, whatever that looks like. So enjoy the Sabbath. Let yourself relax in it, but don't stress out over the small details or disruptions that come your way. Don't worry about being rigorous. How do we practice Sabbath regularly, not rigorously? And number three is this, in real community. In real community. Introverts, stay with me, okay? We've talked about the hardest point. We have talked about maybe the most important point of of not rigorously, but this right here, this is my favorite point. This is my heart point. This is the one that if anyone asked me, I would always come back to as being the thing that makes such a big difference on the Sabbath. Sabbath should be practiced inside of real community. Like we should remember that when it comes to our faith, we were never meant to try and practice it on our own. I know this because from the very beginning of creation, even God said that to be true. In Genesis chapter one, we read about God creating everything in the universe, right? He he creates the stars and the moon. He creates the earth. He creates the waters and the land, all the animals, all the birds, all everything, creates everything. Then he rests, right? That's the whole point. He rests on the seventh day. We've been talking about that. But it's just a little further on in chapter two of Genesis when we get a more detailed look at the creation of Adam, at the creation of human beings. And we read something that has yet to ever happen inside of creation. It's never happened before in the entire world. It's Genesis chapter two, verse 18 that says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Did you guys catch that? I underlined it just in case we needed to to really see it. For the first time ever, God calls something not good. And it's not that he calls humans not good. That's not it. And there is no sin yet in the world. That happens in the next chapter, okay? So there's no sin. That's not it either. No, from the very beginning of creation, he calls being alone not good. It's not good for man to be alone. We were never created to do life or experience God and our faith on our own. The Israelites understood this. They they lived inside of community with one another. They had generations upon generations that would be living inside their home, inside their community. They did life together. And I know that our lives look very different than the ancient Israelites. Like I would, would, they wouldn't even accept me. I'd be dead in the Israelites. Um, but there was an understanding for them about how vitally important community was to their lives. And I actually think we understand it to a degree today as well. When something awful happens in somebody's life, like what's the first thing we do? We go to them, right? We, We try to be there with them. We jump at helping them, loving on them, serving them, uh, whatever it is when they're in need, community rallies around that person to help. We see Instagram and Facebook posts that highlight the impact and difference 
certain people make inside our lives. We talk about, gosh, this person has done so much for me. I don't know where I'd be without them. Maybe you're a parent and you have created a, it takes a village post because raising children is really hard. And can you do it on your own? Yeah. Should you have to? No. So when God created Adam, he immediately saw that Adam was not going to have a fulfilling life on his own. It was not good for him to be by himself. And I don't think we should miss the significance of the fact that God is literally right there in the garden with him. Like God's there. He's been talking to him. He's telling him all the rules. He's telling him, you gotta name all the things. No, you can't name the snake danger noodle. That's not gonna work. People won't ever call it that. Like God's there with him. And yet he still says, it's not good for you to be alone. I'm gonna make a helper for you. You need companionship. And I wanna be careful. It is not say that he needs a wife. I'm not saying that Adam needed a wife. That's not what scripture tells us. It says he needed to not be alone. So when we practice Sabbath, we are practicing our faith. We are acknowledging God's commandment that has been given to us. And we're putting an intentionality on what it means to follow God, to be a Christian and to live out our faith. In Jewish cultures, you would actually go to the synagogue multiple times during Sabbath. You would go on Friday evening, right when Sabbath was going to start and they would have a service for you. And then Saturday morning, you would go again to be there with the other Jewish people to be in community. And if you were alone on Friday, if you were new to town, new to the synagogue, didn't know anybody, didn't have companionship, then a lot of synagogues would actually find you a family to go home with in order to celebrate and enjoy a Sabbath meal together because community was such an important aspect to it. But I want us to understand it wasn't just for the Jewish people. When we look to the New Testament, we see the early Christian church doing the same thing. This is what we read in Acts 2.42. First of all, the very heading of this section, if you read in your Bible say, the believers form a community And the verse says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. There was intention in being together in sharing meals with one another. Their faith through prayer, Christianity from the very get-go, it was a communal practice, a faith lived out alongside one another. But for whatever reason, like, after millennials, they, they, the Christian church has lost emphasis on this idea. Like we long for community and yet we fail to live it out in our lives. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just, I'm articulating what probably many of you have already feel inside the church. That yes, attending church on a Sunday is wonderful. Getting to see people you haven't seen all week or all month even is amazing. Hanging out in the lobby and catching up and getting to talk is fun. But if we aren't coming together outside of church in our day-to-day lives, then we are losing so much of what Christianity was meant to be. It's not good for man to be alone. So then my challenge is this, participate in community. And not just, oh, I see them at church on Sunday community because that's not it. Like that can be a part of it. Absolutely. You should be going to church with the people in your community. Like that's important, but it's so much more than that. Real community is inviting each other into your homes, whether they're messy or clean, flooded or not. 
Real community is sharing your life with one another, again, whether it is messy or clean, flooded or not. It's about holding each other up. It's about being honest about where you're at in your faith. If you're somebody with kids, I'm gonna argue it's even more important to have people in your life whom you trust that your children can grow up with, can look to as an example, can talk to, somebody who's going to pour into them, who is going to speak life into them, speak truth into their lives. And in two weeks, on April 3rd, on Sabbath Sunday, it is a perfect opportunity to live this out with one another. Start creating community. So I wanna leave us with a list. I know I've given lists a hard time in this sermon, but ways that we can practice Sabbath inside of real community. It's gonna be up on the screens. We're gonna talk about each one just quickly. The very first thing, invite others into community. Obviously it's the first thing. Like if you're not doing that, then yeah, that would be the place where you want to start. Figure out who you wanna do life with. Who do you wanna have community with? And most of the time, the people who you are going to want to do this with, they're gonna immediately pop into your mind. And it doesn't have to stay the same every week. It doesn't have to be the same every season. That's not how life works. We know that. So again, not rigorous, right? We're we're not being inflexible. We're allowing things to change. We're not holding too tightly to something. Type A's, I'm sorry, this is a little more difficult for you. But I am sure you know that there are people in your life who bring you life that you want to continue doing it with. If you truly don't know who you would even start to have community with, start with those who are already around you. Start with the people you volunteer with. Start with a small group. Hey, April 3rd, it is the start of our small group season. Like you can sign up for small groups on April 3rd and begin creating community. But once you do that, then you get to decide what works best for your group. Community is hard. I'm not gonna lie and say it isn't. Everyone's schedules are different. Everyone's life is different, but it is so worth it. So you figure out as a group, what does this look like for us? What's realistic with our abilities, with our energy levels, with the stress that is happening? Again, it doesn't have to be the same thing every week. You don't even have to get together every week. I'm not, we're not rigorous. It's not exhaustive, shouldn't stress you out, shouldn't have to worry about it. But it's something that when you spend time together, when you delight inside of each other's presence is so worth it. Maybe in spending time together, this is the next one, you have a weekly Sabbath dinner. And this was unfair, I shouldn't have said dinner. Have a meal, have brunch. Sunday, April 3rd, maybe you don't do a dinner. Maybe you have a brunch together and you get to watch the sermon and you get to talk about your faith and you get to then, you know, go off and do something fun, play a game. I don't know. It's it's your Sabbath, not mine. You can do whatever you'd like. That's the beauty of it. But find a way to practice Sabbath with each other weekly, regularly. Don't hold too tightly to it, but, but find ways to delight in it. Make sure it's not stressful. And speaking of which, the very next thing, rotate responsibility so you're not stressed out all the time. I know some of you are hosts. Some of you love that kind of stuff. Don't stress yourself out. Rotate houses. Rotate who's making the main meal. Rotate who's planning the devotional. Rotate whether you even want to have a devotional. Maybe it looks different for you. I don't know. And yes, this is also going to be a little hard because you are going to have messages and group chats that are going in different directions that you're going to try and compile and organize but it is worth it to spend time together. 
Next thing, emphasis on faith. That's the whole point. This is, this is a spiritual practice. Now, I'm not saying the entire thing has to be nonstop faith-related. That's not it. But you should bring that in as an element. I had my very first Sabbath dinner on Friday this last week. And during it, I just explained different elements of the dinner that I had specifically chosen that had to do with faith. Like my daughter uh, prayed over the meal. She blessed the whole meal. I pulled out bottles of grape juice because I don't drink wine. So I was like, fruit of the vine. This is why we're doing this because wine was important to the Sabbath meal. It was part of God's blessing on the Israelites was a sign of wine. So I had that. I had specific bread that I had made just for it as well. But that was it. Like that was my faith aspect. I just wanted to share stuff that I had learned in writing this sermon. Spend time on Sabbath together. Maybe it's not a meal. Maybe you just get together and do something like a board game or some sort of games, activities, walks. Maybe you have animals and you guys go to the dog park together and spend time together. Whatever it is, just delight in each other's presence. This list is not exhaustive. It is not complete, but it is a start. Shape it the way your community likes it. That's the beauty of it. Like what your community looks like can be completely different and that's okay. It doesn't have to be the same. It doesn't have to be like the Pharisees that were just like, you can't do any of these things. I give you permission, you can, to a degree. 10 commandments, okay? Sabbath is a practice not just to give us rest, but to strengthen the community of faith that God has blessed us with. We just have to practice it regularly not rigorously. We don't have to hold too tightly to things and inside of real community. So let me pray for you guys. And then um, please stay seated. Focus in on me real quick. I have an important announcement regarding our lead pastor search. So I want to give that information to you guys, but let me pray. Father in heaven, God, thanks so much for your gift of the Sabbath. God, thank you for preparing in advance, knowing how important it was going to be in our lives. God, thank you for blessing it and setting it apart as holy and God asking us to join you in it. God, I just pray because I know this is not easy. I know this is not an easy thing to just randomly start doing in a week-to-week basis. But God, I just pray that you would help us find ways to make it regular in our lives. I pray that we would not hold too tightly to what it looks like each week, but understand that basements flood, and that's okay because it is okay to do good on the Sabbath. And God, I just pray you would reveal to people's hearts, those who are struggling, what does community look like to them? God, if they're not in it, I pray they would be. Pray they'd find community in volunteering, in small groups, in just the ways that you bring people into our lives. God, be with us. Draw us closer to you. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast or follow us on social media. To learn more about our gathering times in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or to take your next step, visit our website, elementchurch.life. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week right here on the Element Church Podcast.